Blog Talk Radio. Stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you have done Good evening everybody You're listening to Stop Child Abuse Now Scan Radio Show number 3127 And I am going to begin our show by telling you a little bit about NASCA. NASCA is the organization that produces this show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And this is the mission statement of NASCA. We have a single purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And tonight, It is Tuesday, I think, isn't it Tuesday? On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we on this radio show, we do a question and answer, call-in discussion with a survivor professional using an open mic forum. We feature a survivor professional co-host who will field topics brought to the episode by you, the listener. Tonight, the special co-host is Pastor Deborah Schleich who grew up all over the world in a military family where her mother was mentally ill. And she is now a survivor professional living in Pensacola, Florida. She's trained in ministry, mental health, working with substance abuse, and is a trauma-informed social worker, all in one. She volunteers with many community organizations. Pastor Deborah says she can minister by text, phone, Skype, in person, and however the Lord directs her, 24-7. She teaches that humans have three parts, being of spirit, 
soul, and the physical body, and believes that all three are important and that each area needs care. We look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active member of the Nasca family for a long time. Okay, and with that, I will say welcome to Kim, who is on the line with us. Welcome to Philip, who is on the line with us. And welcome to our Survivor professional host, Pastor Deborah. Go ahead, Deborah. Good evening, everybody, and it's wonderful to have you here. And I am open to any questions. I had been a licensed mental health counselor, worked in many different areas, and now a spiritual teacher, pastor, globally. So I can address both areas of child abuse uh, from both the mental health side and the spiritual side. So I really don't have a topic. I'm open for questions, but... I can go in any direction that you guys would like to talk about. Okay, that's great. Well, let's see whether um, either Kim or Philip has a question for us. Let me let them in. Kim, do you have a question? Okay. Hi, everyone. Hi, Kim. Um, no, I hadn't really thought of one off the top of my head right now. How about you? You got one? Um, I'm sure you already said this, but how long have you been a mental health coach for? Say that again, please. I'm sure you already said this, but how long have you been a mental coach for? Mental health coach? Um, I started uh, probably back in high school, back in the 70s. And then I... um, Went to college, got a master's degree, uh, and then got licensed in 1981, maybe, as a, in the state of Florida. You know, you could have a job working many different areas in mental health with a bachelor's degree, but they started licensing uh, master's level people, uh, and the reason they did that was there was a group of, we'll call them master level psychologists that wanted to have insurance uh, pay for what they did, and you had to have license. So my license was under the Medical Quality Assurance Department in the state of Florida. So I did that for about 10 years. And I worked in a rehabilitation center. I worked with uh, drug counseling. I worked with children, worked in the jails worked private practice, worked in neuropsychology, nursing home, did a lot of neural testing, a lot of work with uh, Alzheimer's, head injury, patients, spinal cord injuries, patients in rehab and hospital settings. And um, then I wanted to be able to help people more with a, say with prayer, okay, or Bible. So I thought working at a church you know, with a license as a mental health counselor and people could refer uh, the parishioners or the congregation to me. Of course, the churches would pay, so it would be free. But that didn't work out. God had a different plan. So I've been helping people, okay, and I have the knowledge of both the mental health stuff and the national and how that works. I was on national 
committee uh, member from the National Mental Health Counselors and one in the state. So I was into politics, policy making, standards, and um, also was nationally clinically certified. So I had a lot of exposure to helping people in the mental health world and uh, did a lot of volunteer work, uh, a lot of community organizations to try to bring that in. And then I went into it, the pastoral type and um, that kind of thing. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Do you, and, uh, do, you, do, you uh-huh. do you have a website or a book? Do I have a website? Uh-huh. Yes, I do. Uh-huh. It's www.agapeloveishere.org. I have a YouTube channel called The Hidden Kingdoms, lots of videos. Uh, I have uh, two other YouTube channels. I'm on Twitter, getting things on uh, Rumble, on Spreaker. I podcast out free podcasts from the website. Because what happened was... Uh, I didn't want to waste my mental health. And there's some great teaching about where the mental health area of us comes from. That's the soul, which is what we study, the memories, the chemicals, the neurons, the brain stuff, and the biological body. And that's pretty – and how concepts and ideas and – are implanted is where where does this hate and jealousy and rage and you know come from and it really you get some basic stuff in mental health counseling but a lot of times uh, the mental the medical community which is psychiatrist they have always kind of ruled that community because their belief was their their medical doctors and their expertise was the brain and I had to read books about the brain and your chemistry in the brain and the neurons and how they get developed and all the hormones that are in you and the cortisol and how the brain works and if it's damaged. So I had to study brain work. And what happens is the psychiatrist believes we have a balance of chemicals and we're supposed to have a certain uh, biological pathways or growth in our brain that's normal. If that is disturbed or you get tumors or that gets blocked, you know, get a head injury and you bleed, or the chemicals, the neuroelectrical chemicals in your brain somehow are short-circuiting, you don't have enough water, uh, you don't have enough blood, you have issues. And that's where the medication comes in. They believe you're supposed to have a chemical electrical, because that's what it is, in your brain, balanced. Not, you know, head injuries and drama and uh, that kind of thing. Then if they they know if we can get some medication to you, like say if you're having a headache, well, maybe you got a brain tumor, so they check that out and if they have to do surgery. But if not, then they know the chemicals and the electrical stuff that's going on is off. So they try to fix that. Then they believe if they can, you know, get your brain balanced out chemically, 
you can think. You can talk about your feelings. Your feelings, a lot of your feelings and emotions are totally controlled by hormones, electrical stimuli, um, all kinds of things that can get out of whack, and they know that. So a mental health counselor had to study the brain, and we had to study the body, and we had to study hormones, and we had to study this wonderful biological system. It's like looking at a car. You know, you can have great tires, but if your spark plug is not getting that power to the where it needs to go, you ain't going anywhere. You know, you can have a good battery, but if you can't get that energy. So we had to look, the mental health counselor had to be aware of. And it wasn't until uh, just recently when they really came out with the trauma-informed, they realized when a child is in development, and I knew that, time a child gets to be five years old, 85% of his values, his ethics, his morals, his belief in authority and everything is already developed. It's in seed form. So a child at five goes to kindergarten and kindergarten teacher says, sit down, be quiet, and that don't work out. Or they're already arguing and fighting because for the first five years of their life, they have had nothing but arguments and violence and yelling and screaming. And all of that, the environment of the home affects the child. And this is what the the ACES thing showed. You had a parent that died or went to prison or somebody or a war. You're traumatized. And the trauma brings, a, we'll call it like a bruise or something to the brain. And so in a childhood, you don't develop normally. Uh, and the, the pathways from the neurons to the synapses and all the blood that doesn't get developed and growth normally. And so time, it doesn't show up till you get outside of the home at five and you're now in the community and you're asked to follow rules and authority. So if you throw childhood abuse, child sexual abuse, on top of that, maybe you're just in a violent home or one where uh, you got some issues. And when I became a pastor, we learned a lot more about the areas because we're studying the soul, is what you would call it, the thoughts, the emotions, the feelings, how does trauma affect you, what's the anchor that's supposed to be there that didn't get anchored, how does hate, jealousy, we'll say sexual abuse, fear happen? And then it threw me into, I got thrown into working with hardcore people who lived in multi-generational Satanism, witchcraft, the occult, all kinds of deep stuff, and had been programmed and were forcibly uh, through torture very early and fear of death, they form multiple personalities disassociated. I didn't know any of that because that's not taught to the master's level mental health counselor. That's usually your PhD. But I had to watch a lot of movies. I worked with a lot of people. And uh, it's like, okay, (laughs) we got one person, one body, but we got many in there. So I I was in a fast track, and it was 
it was the spiritual part was God was saying, yeah, I put this call on you to help people. I used to love when I was in like junior high school, I used to love some of the strangest people, different races and colors and physical problems and just, and I didn't know why. And I would love them and become friends with them. And I didn't see their disabilities, whether they were mental, physical, or in jail. or I just didn't see it. I just knew they needed love. And I would give it out to them, you know, be friends with them. And then God would fill me back up with love at nighttime to go again the next day. And um, so that was a lot of my beginnings. And then I grew up in a military family. And the military is a very, you live on the military base. You are around soldiers who are going to pay the ultimate price, lay down their lives so you can be safe. You train, you're educated, you have this higher calling to help society. You don't really get involved in the local community much. You don't really know what's going on. I was around bombers and all kinds. So it developed in me a fighting spirit to help people, a protective spirit, a warrior mentality, sort of. And it and it was the way that uh, you're not, if you're going to help people, you can't live like everybody else in the world. You can't do what everybody else. You have to be educated, trained. You have to be um, a part of a team. Sometimes, you know, the military sends you behind the enemy lines. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to study. So I had a lot of things that came together that would help me to help people. And mental health counseling, and understand that I used to teach about the flight or fight syndrome. I had to know about adrenaline and cortisol and fear and what happens when you get afraid. I had to know about uh, breathing. And then I had to study also alternative medicine, okay? And I had to study how other cultures treated these issues. And so I had a massive learning that was, I was always reading books, maybe six or eight at one time, reading true stories about people, watching movies that were true, uh, you know, biographies, things like that. And so because there's a lot of people that need help. And when you learn as as a mental health counselor or a pastor or even just a life coach or something like that, we're on we are receivers of broken things. People. We don't do most of the time we don't do the breaking, okay? Somebody else has already done it and we are receiving a broken, damaged something. It needs, sometimes it needs, as you know, physical repair. But most of the time, it's the soul, the mind, the emotions, the mental part that needs uh, fixing. And so I had to uh, really study that and, of course, you know, the group therapy is a part of that and Support groups and peer support groups is a part of it. Crisis lines, I was trained in that. And uh, became both a child and adult victims advocate for the state of Florida. 
uh, with a guardian ad litem. So around the judges, I became the eyes and the ears of a judge in family court. Children had to watch horrible, horrible, you know, stuff from there uh, when they've taken them in and they have to do the examinations. And, And so I had a more than just private practice in an office for 50 minutes type of uh, experiences that have been valuable to helping people. Does that answer your question? Um, I think so. That was a lot, though. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. Oh, it's no problem. Most people... um, we all, well, even if you have sexual abuse in your life, you were given, I believe, a purpose. Maybe, you know, and, and somebody came along and sidetracked you, okay, and you might feel damaged goods. And you need somebody to come along and bring some healing to you so you can get back on track. And sometimes the mental health world and life coaches, they're very, very good. And uh, you need to be with them maybe for years and uh, be very supportive. And um, some people do, you know, of course, if you throw in drugs and alcohol and you have that on top of mental health issues, you got to deal with that. That's all in the biological body. And it's the, it's the way of the, the brain trying to find peace for the body. So they do drugs and alcohol because they don't want to feel the pain. And uh, I used to teach a lot, even for the sheriff's department, and did a lot of drug prevention and uh, worked with a lot of drug stuff too. Because that's, but that's like the entry level. We can get you off the drug. We can detox you in the hospital. That's no problem. I've been around suicide. You know, we got to pump your stomach out. Because I learned how, uh, trying to be a chaplain in a hospital, dealing with life and death, children, it, it, and I've had just so much to tr- and uh, experiences to see this big picture that we are. Okay, and um, then I had to study uh, unforgiveness, and I had to study forgiveness, and I had to study hate and jealousy, and why would somebody do this to a little kid, what is going on with their brains, okay? And I had to study generational training, and you might call it curses, and I had culture and religion, and I had to get these answers so I could talk to people. But then I had to have the one ingredient that was most healing. I had to love them, no matter what they did, what happened to them. I had to love them when a knife was coming at me, scissors were coming, I was being shot at, I'd been poisoned. I still had to love those people. And uh, my never really inside of a four walls of an office for 50 minutes. It's in Walmart. It's on the telephone. It was people coming, taking them into my house, living with me. Uh, two and three at a time, and they all got multiple personalities and uh, trying to attack me and help them and paid a lot of money out for them to go to school and do this and stealing from me. And, you know, so I 
went far beyond what you would say would be the normal mental health counselor role. And because uh, once you're in that, you're under ethics, you know. you you're, The ethical thing for a mental health counselor is I can't really do business if I have you as my client. I can't call you up to fix my air conditioner because I'm in a role of authority. And the client is one that has issues and they are, I could easily take advantage of you. And if you were a female like me and you had a man in there, you didn't close the door. We had a lot of rules about ethics and uh, who we could socialize with and who we could uh, communicate with and who we could socialize with. Couldn't socialize with any of your patients because there were these ethics involved. And so a lot of mental health counselors are constrained. They can't be mamas to these people. They can't be, uh, take them in their home, uh, you know, can't ride them around the car, can't help them go to college, can't be there 24 hours a day when they need it. So once I stepped out of being a mental health counselor because God had told me, put it down, don't renew your license. And I'm going to teach you how to help people my way. And that was probably back in 1995 when I started that. And I go, well, what am I going to do? I don't know how to help people the spiritual way. But I didn't renew my license. And I went and went to Bible school and finished and was almost ordained. But then I didn't fit the box because... Just, I wasn't meant to fit into sort of religious boxes. So that didn't go very well. And um, during the time, like you'll see on the website, I wrote all my stories. They're all on the website, all the spiritual things that happened. And uh, so I have this a, a view and an understanding that most people don't have. And um, it does help if... Uh, advocates will go and get, say, become a guardian ad litem, go through the training, become a eyes and ears for a judge, become a state's victim's advocate, both adult. I had five days of hardcore training about all the crime. And I went, and you go through the sheriff's department, um, community citizens thing, and you volunteer, and you get sex, you get trained and certified in sexual assault and you work to help crisis lines and you get a bigger viewpoint as a mental health counselor than just the office. And and then I went from that being a counselor to being a mama, a spiritual mother because what I learned in the Bible was that love is the anchor the foundation of the soul. And if that got disrupted or wasn't planted good, then you've got some problems. So I adopt everybody. I just ask them, you want to be my spiritual child? And I'm dealing with, as you know, multiple personalities, disassociation. And I have to go back to um, the very core that wants a mama. And just love on them by my words and stuff. So it's a little different than mental health counseling. I hope that answers your question. Yes, thank you. 
You're quite welcome, Deborah. Thanks, Pastor. Thanks, Pastor Deborah. Okay. It's so interesting. You have you've had a very interesting life. My goodness. <laughs> All those different experiences. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll tell us your website again so we can go okay. and read the stories. Okay. It's www.agapeloveishere.org. And you go into the Kingdom of Heaven. There's Volume 1 and Volume 2. You'll read the different stories about my journey of how I had to go from being a mental health counselor and thinking that way to one of a spiritual mother and learning how to help people the Lord's way. And then there's, in Volume 2, it's a lot of, it's all true stories of people I worked with who were in the occult. God just threw me in the deep end of the swimming pool with the hardest of the hard that you would never think. And that had some issues that it's not talked about in mental health. And dealing with Mm -hmm. spiritual things, okay, from the dark side, okay. And I had to know, like, about occultic healing. And I had to know about things that, ooh, oh, right, curses. I had to know. And you'll, and on the the Hidden Kingdoms YouTube channel, I'm basically, uh, in the School of Light, I'm basically telling those stories of how, and it was years. It was, you know, sometimes I sat at home for two years, and God said, right, study. Okay. Sometimes I had to have the healing myself from my life. You know, we nobody got a wonderful life, so. And, um... You know, so when you, he hasn't wasted the mental health. Okay. Well, I'm talking mental health to you all you want to. I'm talking to you about diabetes, arthritis. I work with speech therapists. I work with neuropsychologists. I work, did neuropsychological testing. I work with uh, people with strokes. I work with people who had head injuries, uh, spinal cord, military, uh, suicide. You know, anything you can think of, I pretty much, domestic violence, okay. And all of that, when you're trying to help people, you have to have experiences in volunteering. When I was not working a job, I volunteered in the community. I worked hospice for two years. You have to learn about death and dying. Because sometimes you have to help people die. And you have to be comfortable with death. And you have to be comfortable how the, I volunteered with hospice two years. And I vol- then when I started a lot of my uh, pastoral training, I paid money to go to a hospital chaplaincy program for several months to learn how to be a chaplain in a hospital, spent the night in the emergency room helping doctors, to talk to the families, doing death stuff, working with the children, working with emergency room, getting very comfortable with, you know, issues. And I volunteered in the local community mental health counseling program here. As a pastor, I worked in the acute stabilization where people get brought in by the police and they're using it. And I teach about the three parts, and I work with the long care 
people from that would you would normally say would be locked up in your state mental institution. I did both GED in the jail. I did Bible studies in the jail. I did spiritual counseling one-on-one in the jail behind the bars with the. So I learned how to help people wherever they were. And uh, and a lot of people, uh, mental health counselors or life coaches, you know, they just they 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 good. But they don't see it as a 24-hour day, seven day a week. You know, they want a life in the world, and they just want to make money. And I, I don't charge anything. I don't. Not everything is free. That wasn't. How how do you support yourself if you don't charge anything? Well, when God took me out of working, I, I had become dependent on my husband, and I had to okay. change my lifestyle. Now, I thought I was going to work and have a job in a church, maybe 35000 That was back in 95. Two or three churches would, you know, kick in some money, and I'd be hired as a Christian counselor. Because back then, uh, there was a lot of radio shows, and Christians wanted to go to Christian therapists talk, so they could talk about God and things and get prayer and read the Bible. Well, there just really wasn't any. So I thought, honey, okay. And so I went through depression because I gave up my identity as a mental health counselor in the state and national. Mm. And now what do you do? you got a master's, you got all this stuff, and you can't make money? And God was testing me to put it down and learn about me. So my life changed. I was willing to do it because I wanted to help people since I was very young. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go back mm-hmm. to work. And that was back in 1995. I hadn't worked, ate a bit of money, lived off whatever my husband decided to give me on a month, volunteered. Mm-hmm. Now I'm on Social Security, and I got his military retirement. He's still alive, but I had to live very frugally. And uh, when my parents were alive, they helped out some, but I gave up a job to be educated and trained. I didn't, I read books. I bought thousands of dollars worth of books about spiritual warfare, the occult. I'm reading true mm-hmm. stories about serious issues. Oh, my gosh, true stories. But I was willing to go there because I knew that's what God wanted me to do. So, yes, my life took a drastic change. Everything, you know, you build up. I, I used to go to Washington and lobby the senators for mental health counseling. I was on national standards wow. committees to write national standards for universities and colleges. I was on public policy and legislative committees. I was a chairman of the nomination committee to get the officers. I was a district representative in the state of Florida for mental health. You know, you would think I was at the top of the the heat there. I had a private yeah. practice. Okay. God said, put it all mm-hmm. down. Don't renew yeah. it. And if you didn't have your license, you don't get paid. You can't do anything. And your identity just goes away. So, And there wasn't really anything as life coaching or peer support. We had AA, but there was no life coaching, you know, anything like that. And, mm-hmm. and um, so I put everything down and started 
learning the spiritual way. And mm-hmm. God was working real fast and because he wanted to get somewhere. And so to this day, like I'm going to be 71 next, this month. I haven't worked since probably 1995 out in the world. I volunteer. Mm-hmm. But I had to, you know, you think about that. You give up your income. You give up your community identity. You don't live like other people. You don't, I mean, I volunteered, but you're not really a part of the, con- the community. I didn't have an office anymore. I wasn't independent with my money. But I was willing to do that and um, because I've I, I, been saved since I was three and I guess I was this was what I was supposed to do. And God wasn't going to waste my childhood in the military, wasn't going to waste the mental health counseling, wasn't going to waste every volunteer opportunity that I did. Anytime there was training in, say, mental health counseling, I went and took it if it was free so yeah. I stayed connect you know I, I kept improving then the ACES training came out and we used to have training uh, for the foster care and I was a like I said I did hospice for two years and I volunteered with the guardian ad litem for two years then I was a state victims advocate because I believe in getting lot there's a lot of education a lot of training and it is free and you learn, okay, human trafficking comes out. Oh, okay, I'm going to go train with the nurses. Okay, I'm going to go train with some other people. I'm going to volunteer on task forces. I'm going to get my sexual advocacy, sexual assault advocacy certification so I could sit on a community team and speak from a pastoral side. But that's what I had done volunteered, you know, most of my life. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was before mental health, I was a Navy ombudsman helping the Navy families uh, with the, the military. So everything mm-hmm. that you volunteer to do, okay, and you kind of feel like, I, I'd like to know that. Hey, that's some free training, 40 hours, 20 hours. And you had to, like, when hospice, you know, you have to give a two-year commitment. But there's so much that people, you know, that that's training. And when you're doing it, you don't realize that you're going to use that later. But that's what I did. You know, if I wasn't working, I was volunteering. I was getting trained, getting free classes, you know, free training. And then I would commit for a two-year time, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's been a long time. I have a question. You you okay. mentioned sexual sexual assault advocacy cert, certification. I never heard uh-huh. of that. In the what state of Florida, okay. In the state of Florida, I don't know about every state. There's a sexual uh, advocacy organization that does a lot of training uh, for sexual advocates. The military has sexual advocates, you know, that work with. Uh, and they have to be trained. And uh, in the community mental health world, there was a sexual assault response team made up of community members, nurses from the hospitals, uh, the LGBT community, 
uh, domestic violence, the military girls, the social workers, the VA, uh, the local community rape crisis, uh, the police, the sheriff, everybody that's involved with the rape, okay, sexual assault, mm-hmm. they all, because it, it's, there's criminal, you know, stuff and there's legal stuff. They just don't let anybody come to these committee meetings and unless you've been through their training. So in Florida, you type in Florida sexual uh, assault response team. We have a big community mental health center here, and you get to know some of the people and the psychologists, and they're volunteering and um, in the community trying to make it better, and you go to the breakfasts and you go to the trainings and you meet them. And you learn, oh, there's something coming up, and you call, and you sign up, and uh, you go get trained, and, you know, and that's all I did. And so the sexual assault, because I knew there was a a team here, and they met once a month, I think, and you might meet some of the, the nurses from the hospitals who would meet the girls or guys coming into the emergency room. And we had a human trafficking task force. So that was out of the state. So you get involved in that because you got people from state, local judges, universities, and you meet people. And you see what the community is doing in, for that particular thing. And like they might have an education committee, a lobbying committee, uh, a religious part. And, and you get involved in your local community, if you're a mental health counselor, uh, I was a pastor, so I was going to come in from the pastoral side, because even though most of the people are believers, Christian or Islam, we had a lot of them, they didn't open their meetings with prayer, they didn't really discuss the spiritual, we had our domestic violence shelters there, we had the LGBT community there, because a lot of rape and abuse goes on there. You had you were around doctors, you were around lawyers, you were around the people that were going to do the uh, investigation for the children and the lawyers. You had to to be seen as a helping person. You had to be knowledgeable and you had to be actively involved in local community organizations. Uh, I actually, like I said, when I was learning to be a pastor, I paid money, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars, to go to a a chaplaincy program for months and stay in the hospital and deal with hospital stuff. You volunteer if there's a, you know, a program that they're looking for, uh, like, I don't know, I didn't do foster parenting. And uh, I didn't feel called to do that, to be a foster parent. Uh, I felt called to be the advocate for the judge. And some other places call it CASA, I think. Uh, what it is, you had a two-week two in-depth with pictures, um, child, child sexual abuse training. And you were then, uh, you were, uh, took an oath that was administered by a judge, a family judge, and you were his eyes and ears for him uh, with the children. Because the children had lawyers, the parents had lawyers, you could sit in the courtroom. I did that for two years. 
go out to people's home and to visit the kids. And I would make a report back to the social worker and the lawyers. And you learn a lot about family court, child abuse. You learn a lot about the lawyers, about the family, all kinds of stuff, and the kids. And you just keep absorbing knowledge and all through the area. And then, you know, what happens to these kids when they go home? What's going on? If parents, and then you volunteer with another group that maybe the parents are in prison. You go into the jails. Okay, there are a lot of programs in jails, and you go volunteer with the prisoners, and you get to meet them. And you, and so I did that because people need help everywhere. Go spend some time with homeless people. I did that too. Okay, I worked in, I volunteered as a chaplain in our local homeless shelter. About once a week, every Monday, I gave the lunch devotional, handed out wonderful uh, biblical things for them, prayed with them, spent time with the homeless people, and then, you know, the people that were working with them. And I'd go on that same Monday, I'd go to the long-term mentally ill people who should be locked up in Chattahoochee that lived there and did a group with them. Then I'd go to the crisis stabilization unit as a pastor for an hour and teach and talk to them about spirituality because people leave the the hospitals. They leave therapy. And I try to tell them, your mental health counselor is not going to be there with you. The community is, the pastors, the church, the church members. And so trying to give them hope that, okay, your psychiatrist is just going to get you on medication. You need it. But when you need comfort, encouragement, somebody to talk to, there's going to be somebody, but it's going to be a community member. So, you know, and that's all I did. And every time, you know, it was one more little in-depth thing to help people. Any questions? We do have a question, Pastor Deborah. Jory is on the line. Go ahead, Jory. Hi. I am calling from Central California, and I am in traffic. So I've been listening, and I have a question that might seem a little bit ignorant, but I'm just curious, and I feel comfortable asking you, um, and that is um, you mentioned a lot about Jesus and God, I'm sorry, God and the calling and uh-huh. I was just curious, how do you know that that's a calling from God? How do you know that he's making these things for you? I always okay. hear that, and I never understood that concept. And I'm just curious if okay. you can kind of elaborate on that. Okay. And we'll say most religions or spirituality, most I'm watching a lot of ancient Chinese historical dramas back right now. I have to read it. But everybody, believe it or not, believes they're here for a purpose. Okay? They don't know what it is, but they believe they were born for a reason. And they have a purpose in life. Now, our childhood is supposed to give us guidance. And in the Bible, it says you train up a child in the way you want them to go. When they are an adult, they won't deviate from it. A lot of us had dreams, 
We played uh, with certain dolls or characters. We had a culture in our family. You have to believe that you were born and you were there was a purpose for your birth. Okay, an egg and a sperm got together, but there's a spirit mm-hmm. in there, and it has given a purpose. Now, what happens is God knows that, and your enemy knows that. So the enemy says, I know what you're supposed to be doing. But if I can disrupt that through child abuse, anything, you'll never find out what it is. But some of us, we have inklings. We, You know how you know? When you watch cartoons, fairy tales, superheroes, the good guys wear white. And they help the poor. They help the innocent. They rescue people. Our hearts are going, yay, yay, because we know we love Superman. Somebody from another planet has got superpowers that he can right the wrongs. We love that as children. We believe animals can talk to us. And there's good ones and there's bad out there. But somehow out of childhood, we're told that's all make-believe, the world, that your purpose is to get a job, have fun. And our parents don't know what our purpose, my parents didn't know. But God had to teach me that the, the jobs that my dad had, he was military, he served with General Patton in World War II. Mine was a soldier. I had to be tough. I'm going against the enemy. But I had to be educated. I had to be like a Navy SEAL, highly trained. But that was my early beginnings. I didn't know that at the time. But that was implanted in me, the value of the military. War against people who are not free. You can ask yourself to get angry when you oh, somebody's being hurt. They're not free. And you watch cartoons or you watch all the things even the new ones, Star Wars, there's bad things. It's all out there, but most of us just take it as entertainment. We don't see it that God's talking to you as there's a purpose for you. I got there's bad things going on. I need a Jedi that moves in supernatural gifts. I need people that are willing to risk their lives to help others. We see it, but we just see it as entertainment. Uh, The Matrix came out in 1999. Excellent. We're like, all of us were like Neo. We're in the dream world. And we had to have somebody named Morpheus, which means God of dreams, come to us in our dreams and our spirit and our cartoons and tell us we're the one. But we don't believe it. But we want to. We want to grow, but it took time for Neo to grow and learn and have love and he had a belief and somehow child abuse disrupts that. The world steps in and said you're no good. The only thing you're good for is you're just garbage or you're to be abused and held in brothels or you broke you, I'm going to break you. That's the enemy. But we see it when we're children. We see the world, the animals are trying to help us. We see it when Snow White, an evil mother, makes her eat. But we need a prince. 
somebody come along and save us. We love it because our spirits are going, yeah, I'm like that. It's there. But the people in our lives, it's just entertainment. It's just child stuff. I'll just go live out in the world and go to the sports and entertainment and just drink and do whatever you want to do. And most of us in the suicide find that hope to be free or to be healed or that there's anything for them. was stolen from them, taken. So when somebody know, who knows, like I do, knows that you have a purpose, I've, my job as a mother is to teach you. The Chinese dramas I'm watching, they're excellent. They start training little kids. They put them under a teacher, a master, and they learn ethics and they learn about right and wrong, that you're to fight for the innocent. I go to Walmart and I'll see a big, muscular guy. And I'll say, do you know why you have those? Because you were created to protect the innocent, to fight for the justice, to protect the women. You're not to be just going and being a body. I minister at Walmart, and these guys, they don't know that. God made us different. He made the men to be protectors, providers, put, our, put their arms around us, take the, the sword Die for us. We saw that in World War II. Women and children are to be protected. But we got an enemy that wants to distort that. And, and childhood is the best place because our dreams are destroyed. And our belief in all of that purpose. And then we forget about it. You know, we just get into life and we... Just what's our purpose? Go get a job, get married, support our football, hockey team. That's it. And people need purpose. And they need to know that somebody has already said, I got a purpose for you. Well, that was the difference in mental health counseling. They never really get to that. So when you were a child, you believed, but then somewhere along the line, that childlike belief got covered up with junk, and you don't believe anymore, and you don't know what your purpose is. And so it takes somebody who understands purpose. It's not what you do at your work. It's not your job you have, your education. None of that. Sometimes it's just to be a mama. I'm a mama to grown-up people that are 60 and 80 years old because they're little spirits. need a mama. They need an anchor of love. Men, they they don't know how to be heroes. They don't know how to be fight for justice and protect the innocent anymore. I I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does, but I probably should just be listening now because I'm at home and it gets quite noisy. <laughs> okay. And I thought that was beautiful. You touched my heartstrings tonight. It wasn't me. It's just the philosophy. It's what was put in me, okay? But uh-huh. the thing I, all right, some people's 
they have a purpose, but they get some of it done and then they die. But their purpose goes on. If you have people, like I've worked with people, they're in heaven now. Oh, they were some of the worst people, you, worse than you'd ever imagine. But their life purpose is still going on because they tell their story. And I tell what them. If, can I you tell. still hear me? Uh-huh. Yes, what I if can. you tell your story? What if you tell your story and people don't believe you and they humiliate you? Okay. That's usually in the <clears throat> spiritual world. You have an enemy. He does not want you to be your story to be believed. Because mm-hmm. people really, the soul of us, does not want to believe there's that kind of evil and bad people in the world. So they have to discredit the story and you. Okay? Yeah. And Okay? And you have to know that. You have to know that uh, you've got an enemy out there. Okay? And he doesn't want you talking the truth. And he doesn't want to. And sometimes your story brings hope. And it brings sheds a light on some darkness. And the enemy of hope and healing does not want that light shined. So they'll make fun of you. They will do everything they can, okay, to discredit you. And you have to know that. And you have to be go understand that. Because if they believe what you're saying, then they might feel guilty. They might uncover some stuff about themselves they don't want to know. Okay? Uh-huh. And light comes, which is truth. And it can and I have to be very careful. I have to know what the truth is. But it doesn't mean I have to tell it all because you don't want to hurt people with a bright thousand watt floodlight of your truth because that isn't going to help them. Sometimes people who need truth want to find their own way back out of the darkness. You have to go slow because they can't believe it. It hurts. It means they some things, whether they did it themselves or was done to them. And sometimes they just need a little bit of it. And so you have an enemy, okay? You don't want the story, the light out, doesn't want it flicked on. He wants people's minds and emotions to stay in the dark, ignorance. Okay? Because they're more easily controlled they laugh at you, you know, and it's not real, and life goes on in the dark. But being a light bearer, telling the truth, you have to learn how to gauge who your audience is and how much to tell. And then you have to learn how to be a storyteller. And the ones you're talking to, a lot of them are hurting. They're disassociated. 
and you are re-traumatizing them. You're not giving them hope. Okay? And so you have to know the purpose for your telling your story. Who you tell. I always had a philosophy, I don't need to hear your story. Because I know all about it already. I just need to love you. No matter what you did or what happened to you. Now, I had some people, they wrote me letters. And they wanted to talk. And they wrote me pictures. And they were graphic. And they wrote me emails. Because they found a safe person that they could speak to. No one, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to go to the police. I'm not going to uncover them to anybody. They could open and talk. And I wouldn't get it all, but they would tell me some. And they needed to, but they were living fear of them getting hurt. So storytelling is important, but who you tell it to is real important. And the person you're telling it to, you have to know uh, why you're telling it. Is it a healing for you? Is it a healing for the hearer? Okay. The enemy knows what's Mm. happened. Okay. He already knows the story. Okay. Not changing one thing. Okay. So you have to understand the power of stories. And you have to know who's listening and how much to tell and what's the purpose for the story. When I went through my things, I didn't talk to anybody. I just wrote down my stories. Now, 20 years later, I can release them. Okay? So you have to Uh understand stories are important. Who you tell them to. Why you tell them. What's the purpose? When you release them is important. Storytelling. And it takes being under somebody that's done that, that knows how to do it, to help you. Just because, you know, I write my stories. I don't, I've written books. I don't sell them. I don't make any money. I don't get, you know, give them away. I just give them away. Now it's all on videotape. Because people are listeners. They're visual learners. Sometimes it's just a podcast. A lot of times you can talk and, you know, your story. And people will listen. And then they need to think. Okay, and maybe you say one word and you go, oh, that's interesting. Okay, there's people are learners that watch movies, tunes. Okay, so they don't, they don't do a lot of book reading like they used to because now YouTube's out there with all kinds of dramas and movies and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And people, you have to understand, early childhood development. Children learn. If you watch a baby, can't talk to us, but his eyes are looking at us. His ears are listening, so that's visual and hearing. His hand is learning to touch his mouth. He don't know much, but he's an audio and a visual learner. And repetition. So 
when you learn that you were born for a purpose, since I was in, well, in a family of military, I knew what that meant. My life would be dedicated to helping people get free. I saw that in World War II. They weren't free in Europe. And young men would go and die to set others free. Undercover people would go and spy to defeat an enemy. So I had that background in me. I don't live like everybody else. I don't I don't do sports. I don't do entertainment. I don't do any of that. I don't watch comedy. I don't watch all the... Because that's not where my purpose is. So anything that's not a part of your purpose, you just take it out of your life. When you go to a ball game, you just at the gladiator games in Rome. That's all. You're sitting in the stands watching the gladiators kill each other. You're just being entertained while life and the emperors and stuff are going on with life's business. And you're just, okay. You have to study ancient cultures. There's nothing new about child sexual abuse. The emperors had them. Roman had them. They've been having slaves and human trafficking since day one. Child abuse, it's nothing new. What's new about it is you're sort of learning, hey, if you can get thoughts implanted in children early, the youth Hitler, study youth Hitler. We want to raise up the next generation. You start with the children, the youth. Children are products to be sold, used up, and thrown away. Study religion. They'll marry child brides at 10. And the imams will say, that's fine, just come in the backside until they have puberty. Sell children. Parents will sell children because they have no money and food. It's nothing new. And you have to study that. And how about the brothels over in the Thailand and Philippines? Nothing new. So you start studying culture about this, and you'll learn, my gosh, this is not, okay? So how do you stop it? How do you stop child abuse? Is it just men doing it? What about women? What about brothers and sisters? Okay, the legal system ain't going to do anything. I um, actually went on Dr. Phil telling the world about my mom sexually abusing me. And mm-hmm. I wasn't believed. They called the show. My sister wrote a book of lies. Mm-hmm. And I was humiliated. Mm-hmm. Well, see, not, well, the thing is, okay, remember that Michelle, no, you didn't write that one. Um, Sybil, okay, Three yeah. Faces of Eve, Three Faces mm-hmm. of Eve, true stories. Okay. Yeah, true I know. Stories. My mom had eight personalities. She was diagnosed and okay. put... Yeah, I, I get that. The average person does not <laughs> want to believe in evil that this yeah. happens. They are they want to keep their head in the football games, the basketball games, the sports, the glamour, the Hollywood. They don't want to know reality. Okay? It's painful. Okay? A lot of them had it happen to them. Okay? And so they they don't want to hear it. But there is a way to do it if you've been trained and you've been under a sort of a mentor, a master, and they teach you how to help people through your story, knowing what's out there and going to come against you. And you have to learn how to do it. You have to practice it. 
And you have to sit there and say, let me tell you a story. It's almost like a fairy tale. It's almost like, a, you know, you're talking to children who've been abused mm-hmm. or frightened. So you have to learn techniques. Okay? And you have to yep. understand your, you have to understand the perpetrators. And you have to understand why they do what they do. What was their life like as a child? Yeah, that's what I was going to also ask. Do you think that with all your training that it's something that you think is just taught and then repeated because that was how, what you were taught? Yep. In the yeah. Bible, it's called generational curses. You would pass on to your children what you learned. Okay, most of us try to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. And evil travels family, lust, okay, and, oh, well, that's just, you know, Uncle Joe or something, you know. Uh-huh. And, you know, parents' views about children. Some of them, hey, <laughs> you're just there for my pleasure, okay? Sometimes a mama is raped and she doesn't want you and <laughs> she don't like You're dealing with culture. Yeah. You're dealing with childhood development. You're dealing with religion. You're de- dealing with ancestors. You're dealing with, hey, this is just the way we've done it. What's wrong with it, you know? You're dealing with society. You're dealing with people that make money off of this. You hear about yeah. it. Okay, on, on the, all the internet, social media, you hear about it. Sex is powerful. But if you've ever watched some of the um, fighting things, okay, sex can, I can sexually seduce you by holding your hand in a circle in the jail, how I rub my hand on your hand. Okay? It's physical contact. But sex is also an image. In the Bible, Jesus was confronted with a lady. They said she was caught in adultery. They didn't talk about the guy because that was okay. And he said, hey, I ain't concerned about what your physical body does. Because before that happened, you had a thought, an image, and you've already done it in your head. That's where he would go. So sex is a big, the lust, it's called lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Powerful, powerful forces. Children are innocent. People want to take advantage of that. So they don't have that protective nature they have more of a you are a prey and i am going to get you a wolf type of man okay mm-hmm. and children are seen to be sacrificed hey we got us we got some issues okay and that's just what we and i had to learn culture i had to learn about how this sexual sacrifice is done in religion the druids in the different religions Okay, study the FDLS, the Mormons. They have spiritual marriages, girls 10 and 11 years old. Okay, they have one wife, but they have spiritual. I had to study that. So that's normal. That's just humanity created. Yeah, that's not all Mormons. That's That's just some old school ones. Right, but it's still there in society. I understand. Okay, so what happens is you have to have a, a... a good understanding 
of what is sexual abuse. How does it happen? What is sex? What is going on? Okay? In the minds of these people. Okay? What are they thinking about? Uh, Why is it so pleasurable for somebody watching it on a computer? Okay? Because sex is powerful. It has emotions. It has pleasure. It involves the body's organs, okay, which is pleasure or pain. It involves images and thoughts. It involves peace. Orgasm is the biggest peace seeker that people are looking for. It's uh, it's the hormones get turned on. The body is a pleasure organ or pain organ. And you have to understand all of that, and then you have to understand tradition and culture, and, and you have to understand man, male, biological, and how all of the organs work. And, you know, and sometimes you go, why would they do that? Because they're looking at that child not as a child. It's just an object for pleasure. That's all. Then other times it's, I got to dominate somebody because I'm dominating. But I want some pleasure. Okay. And this is, hey, nobody. Okay. Why? Who knows? And you're not going to find, there's many answers. But in mental health counseling, what they do is they are receivers of a broken mind, okay, emotions. And they're trying to fix it, you know, the thoughts, the emotions, and sort of put something like Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I wrote, I had a great blog that I wrote for, I think, Rachel Grant. And it was about the ruby slippers with Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. A lot of people don't realize it. When she got hit on the head, she went into a coma. And she took her fear of that old witch, you know, trying to steal the dog and her fear and stuff, into her dream world of Oz. And she could not wake up until she had vanquished the witch with the bucket of water. And she felt the love of her friends and she had had done battle with her enemy and she had killed him. Then she clicked her heels three times and woke up. And people don't see a lot of that is spirit work, that's dream work, and um, it's in the movies. There are people that God uses movies. He uses movies and cartoons. And he uses, you know, Snow White, Beauty and the Beast, you know, everything. Okay. And what will you will use? Oh, uh, what is it? Oh gosh, can't think. Of Hogwarts, um, Harry Potter. When you think you got some purpose in life, you better go to school and learn the good stuff. And there's bad people, okay. And you have to learn that there's people. Everybody's got a purpose. But you got to study. you got to be under somebody. What they used to do in China was you go into a school and you are going to learn about that you are a fighter for justice and righteousness for the people to protect the poor, the innocent, the women against the bad guys. And that's why you're here learning martial arts and why you're learning to read and write. 
Because that's what, and they had to be taught that for years. Because a lot of them were going into government work. What do you and, know? Huh? Sorry, I have new windows, and they're so nice and clean and bright that my little puppy is seeing his reflection and barking. <laughs> 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 so what happens is you have to... Uh-huh. Um, what, this is Kim. I just, I have a couple things that I wanted to say. I'm done. Do you want to I'll go. I mean, did you want to finish your... No, go ahead. Can you guys put and me on, um, on silent? Yeah. Um, my, son, my son's here. And then also, um, I wanted to know if um, you can please email me her blog. No, say that. Are you talking to me? Um, yeah. You said you had a blog. Hey, you know what, Jory? I I will meet you back on the back line, or I will have um, Pastor Deborah okay, if you, there maybe um, the show. Yeah, NASCA has a uh, NASCA has a blog, I think, and I wrote. And I I I had several video. They're all videos because people need to know uh, what spiritual care no. is. My my son's trying well. to make me hang up the phone, so. Because we're okay. about to have dinner, and he, it's, it's a little inappropriate for him. He is 15, but yes. you know he's a little innocent. <laughs> I'm gonna have to hang up. Okay. Um, but um, okay. Thank you, Jory. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Jory. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. This is Kim again. Okay. I'm here. Um. Yeah, I was going to, well, I kind of wanted to share a couple things with Jory, but um, maybe we can connect with her again at some point. Actually, you know what, I should have said, let's write down her phone number. But um, I, I was going to tell her that I remember I went to a conference probably 30 years ago. It was an old woman of faith. I don't do you remember women of faith that they were around? Yeah. And they would travel all over. It was called Women of Faith. It was okay. a huge yeah, conference yeah, I think that I they would them. have. Yeah, they had them all over the place. And I remember, so I remember thinking to myself for many years before even that point that there would come a time that God would use me, but I hadn't ever talked about my um, abuse at all with anybody other than, you know, a few close people. And so I uh-huh. hadn't talked about it publicly or anything. And um, when I was at this Women of Faith conference, I remember sitting there and feeling God talk to me that, and saying that I was going to be speaking someday. Okay. And that he uh-huh. will be using me. And it was like it took – it took 25 years after that point before God kind of showed me and I I could see, you know, I was just right along with you, you know, kind of tagging right along with you as you're talking about, you know, how okay. all appear for mm-hmm. um, what God well, has told you to do. Okay. Is, God's is goal a is... long time ago, even before you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we all right now. God's purposes for each of us. We're all going to go through some bad stuff. 
But what his goal is, there are billions of people that need to hear, yes, bad things are going to happen. This was my bad thing. But there's hope. Somebody loves you. And if, even if you die, we've got 50,000 people dead in an earthquake. God's going to be with you. And you're going to be in another kingdom and have another life. You know, you're going to eternity. That's his purposes. That they will believe in him, that he died for them. So if he can take your story and you can turn it, say, bad things happened to me as a child, but it didn't stop me. My purposes for God may have been delayed, sidetracked. I may have been pushed off the road, fell down in a ditch, but I climbed out. And I'm here to tell you, even in that ditch, God was with me. And I'm here to tell you there's hope and there is healing. And God's got a plan for your life. That is what he is after not the continuation of how bad it is and we want to lock up all. Don't you think he wants to reach all the perpetrators who did it? And have them, and so he can forgive them? Oh, Do you know how many, how many yeah, people in I've, prison I've been have been raped as children mm-hmm. and abused? And they think they're the worst of the worst of the worst and there's no hope? And here you come along and say, you probably were one of these kind that did this to me. But I got a story to tell you. It doesn't end here. There's a great love waiting and forgiveness. That's what his purposes are. And a lot of us don't get a teacher or a trainer to help us. We just think we have to tell our whole story in in some meeting or write a book. But if at the end of every video I give people, there's hope, let's pray. Mental health counseling doesn't do that. It doesn't think about reaching the world with your story. It doesn't think about reaching the family and changing other people's lives. It just works on you. Spirituality has the world. God, use me to change other people, to bring them out of darkness, bring them so they can ask you to forgive them for what they've done. Don't want to lose one of them. Don't want to lose one bad guy. And so his purposes are different than mental health purposes. And it takes one, you being under, I'm going to call them a master, it's a teacher, where they mentor you and say, what, well, I prayed and God didn't stop it. He protected you. He made you disassociate. And I asked God years ago, how come everybody's a multiple personality that's been abused and inciting me? He says, because I am. I am whatever I need to be. I'm a king. I'm a God. I'm a father. I'm a judge. I am a multiple personality. And I gave that gift to humanity. So when their times get rough and they're being abused, they can leave their body. Their spirit can leave their body and get out of it. And they can form multiple personalities. I gave them that gift. Everybody I talk to has been abused. Everybody that's been abused has disassociated, left their body, has out-of-body experiences. They don't talk about it. And they all have multiple personalities. And so I'll go. I had this one lady who worked. 
Yeah. I worked with this one lady, and she brought me her one of her parts was a little baby covered in blood, and it was whimpering on the phone. And I knew what to do: clean it, love on it, and hand it back to God. And that was how that part of her got healed. Mental health counseling doesn't go there. Like I said, the mental health counselors at the master's level are not trained for this. They don't know what the purpose of you getting healed, except maybe so you'll have some peace and, you know, not be on drugs and alcohol, but they don't have that bigger picture. And so a lot of people... get frustrated, too, I think. A lot of times they get get frustrated. They'll get frustrated if you're not... I'm moving in a direction that they feel you're moving in. I mean, that's one of the, well, the things that I have found in some of them that I found, too. Have you heard of Darkness to Light? It's called Darkness Who? to Light. It's called yeah. Darkness to Light, Stewards of Children. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. That's where God has brought me to be able to help and to mm-hmm. in, my, in my community and go out and, and teach. And so... It's a well, what happens is, uh-huh. and you have to learn how to talk, and you have to realize all the people that are out there that are listening, there's really more than than that. Because there's people who've left their bodies that are sitting in that audience wanting to hear something from you, that they're loved, their body is someplace else. So you've got a bigger audience than just what's sitting in your audience. Oh, yeah. There's, Absolutely. Okay. And so Absolutely. Spirit, and on here as well, because I'm one of the, the co-hosts on here as well. And, and I never so knew, in, I never thought that God would put me in that position. And so it is mm-hmm. pretty amazing. And thank you so well, much God, for, for everything Well, that you a lot do. of people don't realize he'll take the worst of the worst. And, and he says, I'll put you on the stage. And you're going to go talk to kings and you're going to change people's lives from your life. But you're going to tell me that bad things happen to you, okay, at the hands of the enemy. But I brought healing to you. And a lot of times those people that go to mental health counseling, it's just a part that goes to the therapist. It's not the real. It's just the mental health part. The real them is locked away in darkness and spirituality and stuff. And you've got the whole other level of demonic spirits and evil spirits and generational curses and but that's what you have to don't hear about that in mental health counseling. But yeah, I have one guy at the crisis stabilization unit. He was there. He was having issues, and I got talking. He says, "Well, you know, I think I'm under spiritual attack." I go, "Why is that?" He's a black guy. He said, "Because my family's that we worship voodoo, and I don't want to do that, and I think they're attacking me, and I'm feeling the effects of a spiritual attack." Now, what do you do with that in mental health counseling? There is nothing that you learn. But my spiritual and my ministry part knew what to do. And he knew what it was. My parents, they serve voodoo. I got people, you know, they go, yeah, I go, and we purposely get the spirits up. Okay. All right. That wasn't in mental health counseling. I had to learn how to be in the spiritual world where there's We'll call them angels and the other guys. I had to learn about the spiritual kingdoms. I had to learn about spiritual darkness and ignorance and what's going on. I had to learn about gods and goddesses and all that stuff. That wasn't in mental health counseling. 
God had me on a fast track. I was reading six, eight books at one time. Could barely keep up. Took a lot of notes. Spent a lot of time by myself. You, you, you withdraw from the world is what you have to do. If you really want to help people the Lord's way, you have to withdraw from things. Other, you, you, you don't participate in more. You don't watch the TV shows that everybody else watches. You might watch the Bible, the book of John, the Ten Commandments, over and over and over and over. Take notes. The Matrix, over and over. Take notes. He had me write down the words of the three Matrix trilogy movies, word for word. You watch an, And then you watch it again. And maybe you watch another biblical movie. Maybe you read another book again that you read. And that's your life because you're in intensely waning to help people. And he has to take you out of the world and out of that stuff that everybody else is watching on television and stuff and put you in a sort of seclusion and so you can concentrate and you can talk to him. <clears throat> and uh, it's just a little different. So I know we're getting close to 8.30. I don't know exactly what time it is. We've, oh, it's 8.29. We've got just a couple of seconds left is all. I okay, just want to well, thank everybody who was here tonight. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Jory. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Pastor Deborah. Thank me, Annie. And um, see you again tomorrow night. This The show is on five nights a week at 8 p.m. Eastern time. See you tomorrow.